The Hamlet Podcast, episode 98. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. At the end of the previous episode, Polonius was just about to arrive right after Hamlet's sour takedown of Guildenstern's attempts to play him for something as simple as a recorder. Hamlet's next line is a rather simple, God bless you, sir, and it could go any number of ways. It could be a sarcastic full stop to his words with Guildenstern. It could be a kind of a thank you to one of the players as he hands back the recorder that he borrowed. Or, perhaps most likely, it is a greeting for Polonius as he joins the party on stage. Polonius, for once, is all business. My lord, the Queen would speak with you, and presently. No bones about it, the Queen wants to speak with her son. Immediately. Hamlet ignores any urgency in Polonius's message and instead seems to return to his madness. He asks, Do you see yonder cloud that's almost in shape of a camel? Bear in mind that this scene takes place late in the evening. We've had the setup of the performance and the performance itself, and now it's the aftermath, and both king and queen have seemingly withdrawn to their private quarters for the night. Technically, we are still in the lobby or whatever space has been chosen for the player's performance. Wherever it is, we are indoors. And there's been no mention of windows either. So where exactly Hamlet might be seeing the cloud he's pointing to is worth considering. Of course, Shakespeare's own performances would have taken place outdoors and in daylight, although I imagine it'd be rather difficult to arrange for clouds to pass by at precisely the right moment. Hamlet is clearly messing with Polonius, whether he's literally seeing the clouds or not. As we will see, it's probably more interesting if he isn't. But Polonius responds, playing along with Hamlet's apparent madness. He says, By the mass, and tis like a camel indeed. Would you look at that, he's saying, that cloud you're seeing really does look like a camel. Hamlet is slippery, though, and changes his mind. Now, he says... Methinks it is like a weasel. Polonius indulges him. It is backed like a weasel. If the cloud that they're seeing looked like a camel, how could it now look like a weasel? Polonius hedges his bets, saying that the cloud has a back like a weasel, which he could always backtrack and say also looks like a camel's hump. Again, Hamlet changes the rules, clearly testing Polonius. Or like a whale... Now, much as I'd love to tell you that Shakespeare was being typically clever and playing with words to go from a camel's hump to a weasel's back and then combine the two in a humpback whale, alas, the mighty humpback was first discovered or documented only in the 18th century, so we're about 200 years before that. Hamlet's imaginative leaps between these various species are designed to indicate just how much of a liar Polonius can be when he wants something. He's here to get Hamlet to go to his mother, and he will seemingly agree to anything he says if it'll keep him calm and get him moving. So he naturally agrees again. Very like a whale. If there is no cloud, Polonius looks oilier than ever, agreeing to all of these ridiculous images that Hamlet is presenting. Having proved this much, Hamlet snaps out of it, and himself gets down to business. Then I will come to my mother by and by. Having agreed to Polonius, he gives a little aside. It might be to Horatio, who is still on stage, or to us, the audience. They fool me to the top of my bent. Hamlet's metaphor here is drawn from archery. He's saying that the fooling from these men, Rosencrantz, Guildenstern, and now Polonius, has pushed him to the top of his bent. 
the pandering just sickens him and now he's like a bow that is stretched as far as it can go before it snaps. Lest there be any confusion on Polonius's part, Hamlet turns back and repeats himself. I will come by and by. Polonius acknowledges this and makes to leave, saying, I will say so. Hamlet can't resist another little dig and sends him off, saying, by and by is easily said. The two spies, Horatio, and maybe even some of the players are still on stage, and Hamlet now dismisses them all, saying, leave me, friends. Again, there's room for sarcasm or gentleness or camaraderie here, depending on which way Hamlet delivers the line. In any event, he's now left alone and we get a sort of miniature soliloquy. Tis now the very witching time of night, when churchyards yawn and hell itself breathes out contagion to this world. Now could I drink hot blood and do such bitter business as the day would quake to look on. Soft now to my mother. O oh, heart, lose not thy nature. Let not ever the soul of Nero enter this firm bosom. Let me be cruel, not unnatural. I will speak daggers to her, but use none. My tongue and soul in this be hypocrites. How in my words soever she be shent, to give them seals, never my soul consent. We've been in prose for over a hundred lines now, in the tense, excited, even exasperated aftermath of the player's performance. Now that Hamlet is alone, he can revert to verse, although even here the rhythms are still quite jagged with extra syllables as he thinks about what's going to happen next. He explains that it is now the very witching time of night, the time when people imagined witches were most likely to do their terrible deeds, when churchyards yawn and so their graves open and the dead can return. Hell itself breathes out contagion to this world. In another play, these images might seem a bit far-fetched and dramatic from the person seeing them, but bear in mind that Hamlet has already encountered the ghost of his dead father, escaped from purgatory to haunt his former home in the hope of avenging his murder. After the imagery of the clouds, particularly in an open-air theatre performance on a bright afternoon, it's no harm that Shakespeare returns all of our imaginations to the time of day in Elsinore with these evocative descriptions of the darkest time of night. At this time, when witches might do their worst and the dead awaken, Hamlet himself feels like he could drink hot blood, something witches were reputed to consume, or do such bitter business as the day would quake to look on. His mind is racing and he's imagining doing things that he wouldn't dream of doing by daylight. This corner of the scene gives an insight into just how emotional and wound up and upset Hamlet is. The toll all this is taking on him is very real. He focuses a little and determines that it is indeed time to go to his mother. He gives us a little insight into what the terrible things he's thinking about really are. Oh heart, lose not thy nature. Let not ever the soul of Nero enter this firm bosom. He's telling his heart not to go against its nature, not to kill his mother, which would be an unnatural act. Lest there be any doubt that this is what he means, he prays that the soul of Nero should not enter his heart. Nero was one of ancient Rome's most notorious emperors, responsible for a catalogue of scandalous crimes. Most relevant here is the story that Nero murdered his own mother, Agrippina the Younger. She herself was one of the most conniving and dangerous women in all of Roman history, 
The rumour was that she poisoned her second husband Crispus for his estate and then married the Emperor Claudius, who was her uncle. There's enough of a similarity between Agrippina and Gertrude for Hamlet to worry that he might act like Nero and kill his mother. The suspicion has crept over him that she might have known about his father's murder, but he's fighting the impulse to want to hurt her. He says, Let me be cruel, not unnatural. I will speak daggers to her, but use none. He wants to attack her with words, speak to her, and find out what's happened and how she's been involved, but he does not want to be so unnatural as to commit matricide. He concludes, My tongue and soul in this be hypocrites, how in my words soever she be shent, to give them seals, never my soul consent. The language in this is a little bit archaic, but he's suggesting that even though he will attack her with his words and will speak daggers to her, in his soul he does not want to cause her bodily harm. Regardless of how she is treated by his words, his soul will never consent to give them seals or ratify the words like something like a death warrant. The attack will be verbal, but absolutely will not be physical. This is a pretty amazing ending for this rather long scene. We began with Hamlet's advice to the players many episodes ago, and then we had Hamlet and Horatio discussing the play to come, then the performance itself and its dramatic success, all seemingly leading up to Hamlet catching the conscience of the king. And now, as it ends, we have him contemplating and suppressing the urge to kill his mother instead. Whatever happened to the king, we wonder. Bear in mind, we're just a little over halfway through the play, and there are clearly a good few more twists and turns to come. There'll be another bonus episode next week before we launch into the tenth scene of the play, Act 3, Scene 3. Thank you, as ever, for listening, and I'll speak to you next time.